Welcome to Talk West, a podcast where we typically take you behind the LinkedIn profile of some dynamic marketing professionals in the triangle and beyond. But today, we're doing something a little bit different. Instead of behind the LinkedIn profile, we're taking you behind the scenes of marketing in the triangle with three industry veterans that have seen both the city and the industry evolve. I'm your host, Derek D. Ross, Senior Account Supervisor at WalkWest. Joining me today as co-host is WalkWest CEO, Abba Bowers, and the panelists for this discussion, which was recorded on the 12th floor of Raleigh Founded's Capital Club downtown. We have Scott Wingo, CEO of Spiffy, Reagan Green, VP of Marketing and Community Engagement at Blue Cross Blue Shield, North Carolina, and Salgada Merkaji, who is the Editor-in-Chief of the Triangle Business Journal. We have our panelists here today that will share their expertise, their experience throughout their careers, not only uh, leading up to their uh, journey and their um, they're starting their careers here in North Carolina, but then also presently what they're doing in their roles and then their their insights on present and the future of marketing um, from their uh, from their lens. And so we will start first with Salgada. Well, thank you for inviting me to this wonderful podcast. You know, I'm a media guy. I'm not sure I know anything about marketing. But if you put media and marketing together, I think you have a pretty strong s- statement because in the end, communi- it's communications that matters. So I've been uh, with the company for, oh boy, um, almost 21 years. I moved from Washington, DC. I was the Washington bureau chief with American City Business Journals, which owns the Triangle Business Journal. We have 45 different newspapers. So that's it, op- op- open to questions and uh, some observations. Awesome, Scott. awesome. Hey, I'm Scott Wingo. I'm a serial entrepreneur here in the Triangle. That does not mean I invent breakfast cereal. It means I've started multiple companies. Um, my current company is called Spiffy. It's on-demand car care. I have an engineering background. I'm from South Carolina, so I went to the University of South Carolina uh, and then went to NC State for grad school in engineering and have started four companies. The other one you may have heard of before Spiffy was called Channel Advisor, still an ongoing company. Um, and uh, started that in 2001, went public in 2013. So I'm here to give the startup edgy angle. That's my, my Very role. Very edgy. I'm super edgy. And my first step after this, if it's not yours, it should be, you need to download the Spiffy app. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm going to do this. You should. Um, yeah. So thank you all for having me, and I'm excited to be part of the first live podcast series. Um, I'm Reagan Green. I am the Vice President of Marketing and Community Engagement at Blue Cross and Blue Shield in North Carolina. I'm from Dunn, North Carolina, so a North Carolina native. Um, I went away to school in Kentucky to Center College for my undergrad um, and uh, near Cincinnati for my graduate degree. I was anthropology, sociology, and then MBA in marketing. And over the 14 years I've been at Blue Cross, I've just continued to build my marketing and brand uh, and community function and now have more than 21 years in healthcare and health insurance marketing. So I'm excited to share more with you all today. Awesome, thank you. And you know, for those listening in here, you might do a little head turn of like, well, these are very different types of folks with different backgrounds, but we're talking about the history of marketing. But we did that on purpose. We wanna provide different perspectives and how this impacts more than just one industry. So that's what we're really excited for you to hear from someone who is seasoned in marketing, in media and an entrepreneur. How does this impact all of us and the products and services and experiences that we have every single day? And the interesting part about that is like when you learn um, about different industries, you see how you may be able to apply some of those lessons in your own uh, industry as well. It it helps you with ideation and coming up with creative ideas. And so 
Hopefully you're listening and you're taking some notes um, as we jump into the questions. And so um, I'll start first with when you be first began your careers in North Carolina, what can you recall about the state of marketing at that time, right? Because marketing has gone through a lot of different iterations. I know when I first came out of college, 2005, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it was right around the emergence of new media, right? Social media, uh, Facebook was just now branching out from being focused on college students and connecting college students and then businesses were starting to find their space there. So when you first started your careers in North Carolina, what was the marketing landscape like then? And I'll start with you, Sabah. Okay, well, uh, 2005, I was in high school, uh, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll give you a quick sort of background. In 2009, this is right after the Great Recession, I wrote a column that was titled this, Brand Means Nothing. Why did I write that column? I got killed by the marketing people. Let me tell you, they called me left, right, and center. Basically, I made the point that marketing is just, to me, is just nonsense. It's just a way to be in an industry that has sort of morphed into an industry that does not believe in the functionality of the product and services it is selling. I realized after I wrote it and after I listened to everybody that said like, well, you know, you're trashing marketing and brand and this and that, but would you listen to us, our side? And I did, and, and I did a follow-up column. And I said, well, I was partially wrong. Partially, not totally, partially. Why did I say that? It's because, as you know, 2009 was two years after, uh, like two years of awful, awful times for corporate America. People were losing their jobs, businesses were going basically out of business, um, so much debt, you know, the country's financial system was about in ruins. So people were very afraid. And then I, I sort of realized what Simon Sinek said about a year later as to what exactly is marketing and what, who do you, who, if there was one company, who would you look at? And it came down to Apple. So what did Apple do? Apple, you know, you know, Sinek made this point that, you know, most companies sort of go sort of the what route, what are you, what are we doing? Second one is how route, how are we doing it? And the third one is the why route, why are we doing it? Apple reversed it. Apple basically said, we need to start thinking, saying, why are we doing it? And that sort of was my first thing of marketing that sort of gave me enough arsenal to write an additional column that I was wrong in the point that it's completely, you know, a marketing gimmick for all companies. It actually has value. And... I would say that's probably the first thing I remember from the history of marketing. Yeah, and the so I started my first company in '95, and as a startup, you know you don't have uh, your budget that you have at Blue Cross, uh, and so you're always trying to like think about how do you get the word out. And in the startup world, the the OG of startups in the triangle is SaaS software. So so Doctor Goodnight, and he you know he was so early though that he just basically built a great product, right and. You know, he just kind of said, there needs to be statistical software. I will go build that. And that was it. 
But then by the time, even in 95, it was pretty noisy. But then you had Red Hat, who conveniently is over my left shoulder. And, and they were just going public around 1995. And I was just like, wow, that's pretty amazing that they've got this like rebel. It's kind of sad. IBM bought them and they got rid of the rebel logo. So it used to be like this kind of shady guy in the Red Hat. And IBM said, we don't like the shady guy. And they, they uh, paid, what do you think they, you probably know, what they pay to get rid of that guy off the building? A lot. Feels Lots. like, feels like 200K. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, in the startup, in startups, you're more rebel because you don't have that budget. You know, I've never run a TV ad. I've never done radio um, Never advertised in TBJ. I have. I actually have. Yes. Yes, I have advertised we in have. TBJ. As the man who doesn't yeah. believe in marketing. Yeah. And, you know, your startup and, and uh, my first startup was in this really esoteric, it was developer tools for other developers. And there's this one magazine called Dr. Dobbs. And we called one day and I was like, what would it cost to get an ad? And they're like, $200,000. And we're like, what? That was like, that was like my, uh, I didn't have, no. That was like my employee budget. That was like my whole budget, like my whole company budget for the year. So, um, you know, have always marketing for me has always been how do you be how how are you scrappy? Today we call a lot of what we would do. Um, it's got a fancy term now, which is inbound marketing. So, putting a lot of content out there. So, what I did is I started writing articles for that magazine, and then the byline. I was like, well, that byline's worth a hundred thousand dollars. I'll write articles for that and become an expert in this and kind of what we call an influencer now. So, so I've always, that's been my approach on a lot of these things. Flash forward to today, and now it's a lot easier to get that kind of message out through today, which is really fun. But back then it was, it was kind of grinding it out, writing byline articles and Dr. Dobbs. So I'll build on that. So my marketing career began in Lexington, Kentucky. So I'll jump to Triangle. Um, so about 2008. And I think I'd build on all of, of the, the previous comments, but we were talking at the consumer Right. So what we've seen over the past 20 plus years, you know, is really that shift from, you know, to the consumer. The power has shifted to the consumer. And so, you know, I just remember looking at the assets in the sports venues. Right. They were all static signs for the most part. Um, it was about brand awareness. Right. Consumers didn't have as much choice or tools to actually make that choice. So it was all about getting our brand in front of people any way that we could. Um, and over the years, it's shifted, right, to where it's not static signage to put the cross and the shield on. Everybody knows we have 99.8%. I don't know who the point the point two oh two is, but anyway, <laughs> we, got, we got nearly 100% of brand awareness, but we didn't have many, um, you know, assets or platforms to be able to actually get out those messages targeted to the different audiences. So, it was less about choice. It was more about, you know, getting your, your, you know, your logo out and, and driving actual brand and, and more static, uh, less messaging, less uh, RTBs. And so I, I heard a lot of great things. I heard value, uh, the why from Salgada. I heard inbound marketing and really talking to the consumer and then brand awareness and visibility all kind of building up to, you know, being very active and engaged with your audience. And so how do you communicate, like current, present day, communicate and demonstrate value to your customers? Yeah, the, the internet age um, has really changed things because there's a famous Jeff Bezosism where, let's see, a happy customer tells 10 and an unhappy customer tells like 10,000 online. So I, I used to be pretty skeptical about net promoter score, which is this thing that Bain Consulting came up with, which is essentially a way to measure word of mouth. Um, and I was kind of like, ah, it sounds kind of hokey. And in the B2B context, it is kind of hokey, but in the consumer context, it's, it's very valid. 
So one of the first things uh, you know Amazon did, having you know, I mentioned Amazon a lot because I was in e-commerce for 20 years. They you know they never ran ads for like the first 10 years of the company. And you know another Jeff Bezosism, someone said, why don't you run ads? He said, I want to take all that money and put it in free shipping because that's what's most important to the customer. And then the Prime program was born. So so that's what we do at Spiffy is we say let's put all that money into the product, which is the service we deliver. When Reagan orders her Spiffy, you know we want her to go out there and be like. The, you know, the, the moment we're looking for is her saying, my car hasn't looked that good since I bought it. And then, you know, and then hopefully her neighbors see the van there and they say, how did it go? And she's like, it hasn't looked this good since I bought it. And so that's what we really rely on being a tech enabled service at Spiffy. Now we have to do the traditional stuff of, you know, we, we, we put our message out there um, and we do a lot of digital advertising and whatnot to get that top of the funnel. But for us, the bottom of the funnel really is is get a customer, make them happy, and then they'll tell 10. And, and that's kind of what we really focus on. Gosh, value is such a loaded question with marketing, right? So I'm going to hit it on a couple of angles. We also look at the funnel, obviously, right? And we do a lot of research and understand that consistently, um, you know, consumers want different things at different stages of the funnel, right? Different attributes about our brand are important at the top of the funnel versus the bottom of the funnel. Um, and it's, it's fascinating to see that. So as we look at the bottom of the funnel, we're looking at, you know, I want, I want you to see me. I want you to be for people like me. So, you know, we're perceived as the number one, you know, big stodgy brand in many cases, right? That we're bureaucratic, we're hard to deal with, we're slow. Some of that's right, right? But we're working hard and putting tools in place, giving consumer choice, right, to change that simplify the experience. So we have perceptions that we're trying to change through our marketing, through our messaging, through our activation, like we're easy to do business with. It's simple. We're making the tools. We're creating the tools. We're listening to you for your needs. Um, we're doing things in community. So um, I was sharing earlier, you know, we're, we're very invested in North Carolina communities. We are North Carolina. That's the, the top differentiator the, that we have versus our competitors. We are North Carolina. We are the only insurer that stayed in all 100 counties through thick and thin and not have backed out based on a spreadsheet and, and seeing revenue numbers. And so how do we bring that to market and drive value in communities? At the end of the day, we're, we're striving to improve the health and well-being of North Carolinians in all 100 counties, and we won't stop until healthcare is better for all. And that means creating healthier communities. That means simplifying the experience. Health insurance is hard. Um, I, you know, everybody says, I, I, I want to be in marketing, but I don't want to be in marketing for a health insurance company. I'm like, actually, it's kind of cool, right? Because you're trying to simplify and tell a story differently. So that's where we're trying to add value um, and drive value. So simplifying that experience um, for consumers and then bringing that to life and through marketing, giving them the reasons to believe in our brand and, and purchase our brand. I come from a different angle, right? My customer is relying on us to be the thought leaders in the community and sort of uh, communicate not only what is happening in the business community, at least from my perspective, but also give me some sort of options of roads that I can take moving forward. So because that affects my PNL, my balance sheet, my competitors. So that communication is probably the single largest marketing element that we have. If we can add loyalty through our communication, that is the biggest marketing tool that we have. We have it twice a day, five days a week, 
and one more time on Fridays. We have to hit the target every time because sort of different than what Bezos uh, uh, talked about, I always tell people that you make one great story that will stay with probably a person, a reader for about maximum, maximum seven days. You screw up a story, it stays with readers for probably two years. Now you tell me how challenging it becomes for us to market our product and services then. So market, marketing is in the end, marketing sort of probably rules. It's just that you need to be acutely aware of your product and services. Are you really, really benefiting? What is the uniqueness that you have? And you need to focus on that rather than general because then it becomes what I wrote 13 years ago. It means nothing. And if I could add on that, yes. you know, I think it's the target audience, right? So from Blue Cross Blue Shield, we have Medicaid over 65, under 65, right? I mean, you look at all of us have so many different target audiences and it's knowing their needs, their desires, right? What they're looking for, for purchase or, you know, readership or whatever it may be. And so, again, I think that's one of the biggest challenges. And I find it as a, a competition with myself, right? Of How can I make sure that we're targeting the right people? Maybe it's, you know, Friday night football. Maybe it's, you know, in a sports venue and the Tar Heels, right? Maybe it's, you know, a food drive. Or, again, I think it can be in, come in different shapes and sizes. The social influencers, that's a big one, as Scott said. That's huge these days. Um, and, you know, I'm going to be the one in my neighborhood with, I'm going to post. I'm going to be an influencer. You got to you. get, get the Kardashians. Okay. I'll, I'll work on that. <laughs> Social influencers. But the audience being key. Mm -hmm. Kylie and Spiffy. I think yes. it's, uh, it happened yeah. right here, folks. <laughs> you heard it here first on Talk West. <laughs> uh, and, and I love that because, you know, you, you all have a thread within what you just shared from really being intentional about the value that you're bringing and also being able to stay connected with the tools that you have, with understanding what the needs are of your audience, working with them in, from, from an inbound perspective, right? Communicating, staying abreast of what they need, but then also doing that on an ongoing basis. And that can be exhausting in the world of marketing um, because things are shifting constantly, would you say? Mm -hmm. I think what's really interesting is I agree with you, Sugata, that brand does mean nothing before. We didn't have digital media then. We didn't have all of the mass communications. We didn't have folks demanding customization and personalization. And I think as marketers now, that is the number one challenge. When you were talking about all your different consumers and you imagine someone 65 plus, 35 to 44, 18 plus, how do you actually reach them enough with enough frequency and messaging to actually turn perception? Right, like, and I'd love to hear from you in, in that sense of you have this annual budget. How do you go about hitting all these? I, I like, I'm a visual person, so I'm already seeing like, here's how you would talk to this person and that person, and here's right. what they're consuming and when, which is vastly different than the millennials and whatnot. So I'd love to, yes, to hear your thoughts on that. So we have an overarching marketing and brand strategy, and then within that, we have all these different, right? Whether it be diversity, whether it be a certain target, you know, within over 65 Medicaid, they all look and feel very differently. And our job, my team's job, is to deliver differently on that. And then we have an experience team, which their job is to modify the experience based on their needs that look different across the board. So we do a lot of research. 
and understanding um, how, how things are moving up and down. My favorite example to answer your question is that, you know, we have nearly 100% brand awareness, as I mentioned before, no surprise, um, within our Medicare market. So as our members or consumers in general, members, non-members are aging in to Medicare, 55% of our membership in North Carolina and nationally across the entire blue system are they're unaware that we have Medicare products. So imagine that nearly half, more than half of our membership um, drops us and goes to you know a competitor in the space because they just aren't aware we have it. So that's a great example of where we're looking at that slice. That's a huge opportunity. Um, and frankly, one of my core focus areas is how can I shift the mindset internally and externally from marketing of being a cost driver to a revenue generator, right? I think we all struggle with that. And wow, would this be a great business case to show how marketing has shifted that awareness? We've tracked it, right? Each percentage point, how it's moving the needle, where we're investing. So we've, again, general pop in each individual segment, and we do that for each of them. I'm interested to, to hear you all's insight on profitability, but then also weaving in purpose, right? You see that customers are identifying with brands, you know, identifying themselves and their values and their core system. So how have you seen that evolve as an idea within your companies of really having, yes, we, we, we need to make profits because we need to survive as, a, as an organization, but also having purpose connected when identifying the, the customers that you're serving and really connecting and making them feel valued as what you're doing as an organization, but then also, you know, we want to keep you as a customer as well. Social influence is, is a, can be a super good thing, but social media can be a super bad thing. When uh, golfer Phil Mickelson, this is a recent thing, you have two, two, two golf leagues and this guy who's very well known decided to go with the Saudis to start another league and all hell broke loose and all the companies basically decided that was, you know, 80 to $100 million. The cycle of that 20 years ago wouldn't have happened because he would have figured out the messaging part in order to not to have that impact. Social media created that 48 year hour cycle that just killed his marketing uh, capabilities moving forward because everybody sort of retreated from what he did. And it's really, really tough to come back from that when something like that happens. That's the bad thing. The social influence about uh, Scott's Spiffy product being promoted by Kylie Kardashian is a fantastic thing. You know, you can get a million new customers calling to get Spiffy details on their cars. But I think companies have to be super, super careful. And I think Scott and Reagan may be able to do, because from the media's perspective, we are sort of noticing the variance of every company's sort of marketing ploy and how they are sort of utilizing their product and services, because in the end, you're going to keep the customer with your product, not necessarily with your marketing. Did you mean like social impact or social influencer? Like purpose as, as a part of your strategy. Okay. Right? So leading with purpose as a part of how you serve, how you show up. I think you talked about using, you know, recycled water. Yeah. When okay. you have the mats washing um, the cars and that's, for some, that's, you know, socially conscious, that's being like, oh my goodness, like 
I can I can get into that. Like I will go and and be with Spiffy forever just because the fact that they care about the climate and that's something that I care about. So just weaving in those elements that that really resonate with customers. Yeah. So so we started with that at Spiffy and we did it for consumers and just reading you know about millennials and and Gen Z that it was a number one thing. Um, we did it because it was just right and we don't want to. We we actually couldn't do what we do if we didn't. Um, reclaim the water, especially at office parks. Um, so we do, we go to uh, a lot of office parks and we become an amenity and they wouldn't allow us to do it unless we reclaimed all the water. So we bring all the water with us and we reclaim it. We have, we wash every car on a mat and it's like a little bathtub for your car. And then it catches all the runoff. We suck it up out of there, back up onto the van and then we reclaim all the water. So that's how we started. And then um, it really resonated with consumers. And it was funny, we would go to these B2B fleet pitches and talk about it. And they're like, yeah, we don't care about that. And then suddenly, like three or four years ago, U-Haul, all the rental car companies, Amazon, all these fleets we work with, they had chief sustainability officers. And they were like, you know, they would call and say, hey, our CSO wants to meet you. And we're like, great. And they, it became a strategic advantage because they would get rid of all the other mobile providers that hadn't thought through this. And then we work with a local company called Green Places. Um, uh, and they, um, they help companies our size become carbon neutral. So they, they navigate helping us figure out what is our footprint and then how do we offset it correctly. Um, so, so we went ahead and made that step. Uh, I guess it's been about two years now. Another one that's fun is um, for oil changes. There's a lot of concern around oil. So the first thing we did is we decided instead of risking any kind of oil spill, let's vacuum the oil out of your car. So we, we take literally like a clear straw and we put it in the dipstick and we suck the oil out. Uh, and then it goes into this containment vessel in the van and then we recycle all the oil. And it's really funny. There's like these old school folks that are like, there's no way that'll work. And then like, you literally see the oil coming out of the, the and they're like, they're like, what is going on right now? Uh, so it's, that's kind of been a fun one to watch the demos there of these folks that are incredulous that that would never work. And to Scott's point, you know, all of this comes with a lot of minefields. I mean, you know, you have heard the term called greenwashing. We have heard the term because of Mickelson sports washing. You know, you just have to be careful. You know, this goes to the marketing of the product and services, right? That you're not doing it just to sort of make others feel like, oh, you know, I'm very clean. I'm sort of socially responsible. And then doing completely something different because it's, it's going to come out and your customers will know. And no matter what marketing you're doing, you, you, you're going to get caught and that's not going to be a bad, good situation. And the good news on that, to build on that, is that Blue Cross is doing it right. So we are a purpose-led organization, and we say that loud and proud. Just in uh, 2021, we invested more than $24 million in the communities. We're doing an extra mile tour uh, right now, which we're going into all 100 counties and listening. Um, so we're meeting with the community college presidents. We're meeting uh, with school officials. We're meeting with farmers. We're meeting you name it, to listen and understand what their community needs to improve the health and well-being of that community. Um, we're focused around three areas, and that is maternal health, behavioral health, and food security. So you've probably seen a lot. We had Thrive NC, downtown Raleigh. I don't know, it's been three years ago. And then the pandemic hit. We had Thrive coming back. Um, but, you know, really helping to, you know, become not one of the top 10 hungriest states, but one of the top agricultural states. It still doesn't make sense to me. We need to do something about that, and we're committed to that. Two weeks ago, we were in uh, downtown Durham uh, building a Kaboom playground 
for uh, some kids. So giving them an active place to play. Corporate social responsibility is core to who we are and it is core to our marketing message. So actually something I'm working on now is our next brand campaign, which should launch um, early in 2023 is gonna be all about us being local North Carolina and corporate social responsibility and standing up a function around environmental social governance on how do we actually track that? Because to your point, so many companies, right? Come in and say, hey, we're this, we're that. Um, you look at Tom's, uh, they really did well with their corporate social responsibility program with the shoes. We've all heard that, right? But if you look at their books, they actually lost a ton of money, changed the plan significantly. So the plan that we all think that's happening on how many shoes are actually going in the communities, they've reduced significantly because they were losing money, but it was a gain for them and a revenue generator. So again, it's a great point. You got to find that right balance and do it right and, and be authentic to your brand in the corporate social responsibility And I space. think that's a single biggest opportunity for people in the marketing right now. If you can devise plans that sort of be truthful and actually making focus on making the difference. If you're a marketer, if you're going into marketing, if you're doing marketing, if you're getting a marketing degree, are in marketing programs, you are golden, man. SEC, Scott and I talk about this all the time, the Securities and Exchange Commission, they're gonna come out with rules, basically forcing the largest companies to follow what Reagan was talking about, the ESG guidelines, and keeping a score at it. Before long, literally every company, whether you work for them or you don't, every company is gonna be required to do that. So isn't there an opportunity if you're in marketing to go like, I'm gonna start create an infrastructure and then I'm gonna sell. I know of a couple of people that have already done it. So I'm telling you, this is very early on. If you're in this business, whoever listens to the show, I'm happy to say, get on it. Right. And it's being authentic to that, like Scott. I mean, it's authentic to his personal and professional brand to do the right thing. And again, you can tell, you know, you know immediately when companies aren't really walking the talk. Yeah, when Scott was sharing the story with us when we were talking right before the show, you can just see it was natural. It, 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 it wasn't anything that made you second guess. Is he really doing this? It was, it was really true to the core of who he was. And, um, and it made me want to say, okay, I'm going to download the app and I'm going to have a spiffy at my house <laughs> washing my car. Check it out. Check it out, right? Check it out. So, God, I want to ask you this question, um, especially from the media perspective, and I think we talked about this a little bit um, in preparation for the show, but the biggest influence that you in the media space have seen um, impact marketing, I think you talked about technology, but then also um, collaboration. So can you talk a little bit about that, what you've seen as far as the biggest influence in marketing from your perspective and, um, and share a little bit about yeah, so so I, I sort of mentioned a couple of points on the technology part with sort of the exposure to the social media and how news today, how information travels. I mean, it was far different 20 years ago um, than it is uh, today. In terms of collaboration, I think just from the media's perspective, there is so much chatter out there, right? I mean, you can be Unless you're the New York Times or maybe uh, the FT, the Financial Times, there is a lot of ways you can get the same information, maybe not in as much deep. So these news outlets have to figure out their marketing strategy in order to make the potential leaders decide like, you know what, I'm going to switch. I'm going to switch. I'm going to stop reading the Financial Times, but I'm going to go 
to the Scott Wingo Business Herald. Well, how does Scott Wingo Business Herald get to that point? Well, that's where he probably needs to collaborate because he, his business is writing news and, you know, he's got reporters, editors, salespeople that are selling in order to, he does not know how to sort of make that a, approach. And that's where I think media's uh, collaboration with marketing sort of helps. And you are seeing that with, um, uh, on the online space. The, what Axios is doing, for example, what HuffPo did early on, what political, these are all sort of, they were, they came from nothing and they grew to a size that took New York Times 91 years. It's, the world has changed. And I think that all gives us opportunity The collaborate. You cannot say anymore that I don't care you're too small because that probably is true in health insurance. That probably is true in entrepreneurism. You have to find some common ground that you can collaborate in order to make your product and services better with a social conscience. And, and Reagan, I'm going to pass it to you next because we talked a little bit about uh, some of the partnerships and collaborations that uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield um, NC does. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about NASCAR and, and some of the things with breast cancer awareness. So as being a part of your marketing strategy of, of looking for like-minded, authentic partners to really you know, share that brand identity with, what are some other, um, you can even talk about the, the NASCAR sure. piece a little bit. We have a lot of collaborations. The first one, and they're, and they're different. The first one that comes to mind is pandemic hits North Carolina. We're North Carolina. Um, we're working with Mandy and Cody and, you know, Health and Human Services on what do we do. We know we can't do it alone, right? We know that we have a role to play here in helping North Carolinians navigate the pandemic with education, masks hand sanitizers. And so we pulled together a public health coalition and it had, I believe it was 17 or 18 different companies of different sizes from across the entire state that came together for a common cause um, and just supported DHHS and and their efforts and doing our own thing. So again, the power of collaboration. And again, that can mean different things. Also just partnerships. and, And Derek mentioned one with NASCAR. So, you know, a a lot of folks ask, well, why are you all NASCAR? Right. So we used to endorse Jimmy Johnson. He had a very diverse fan base and more than half of uh, uh, NASCAR fans are females. Who's also we call the females the chief medical officer of the home. They're primarily making most of the healthcare decisions on health insurance. So we now leverage this platform. Jimmy Johnson is retired. I think we, if you all follow NASCAR, you know that. Um, but we stayed in, in the program and we leveraged the platform to drive um, awareness of prevention for for breast cancer. We uh, do that throughout the year. We do that. We have people sign digital pace cards. We celebrate survivors, and it's really a huge education platform. And you know, we I could go on. We have to get another round for this one, but just it's talking about data and analytics. The outcomes that we're driving through this platform is is it's outstanding. So, you know, in the past, maybe when I started at Blue Cross, a uh, Charlotte Hornets relationship may be about basketball and, you know, what's on the ribbon board and what reason to believe we're putting up there. Now it's about driving food security um, in Mecklenburg County together and how we're doing that and measuring that. So it's the power of collaboration um, and looking at things differently, right? So consumers are different. The world's different. Media consumption's different. Everything's different. And so how can we make sure we're, we're evolving 
um, our, our, you know, activation, our platforms, our strategy, our messaging uh, to, to keep up with that. In saying everything is different, the world is so different as we reflect on the history of marketing, what do you think could be coming? What do you think could be next? Uh, I think it's an exciting time to be marketing because there's, you know, I think we'll get to this like one-on-one, you know, marketing kind of a thing. So, so it's going to be like this super personalized, you know, a message when you need, it'll, it'll feel creepy and it already does for, for a lot of people. You know, we do retargeting and that always freaks people out when they're kind of like, I, why are you on the New York times when I was just on your website? It's like, it's called retargeting. We, we're going to follow you around the internet. Um, so, so I think that'll be good, but it'll get to the point where it almost feels like it's helping you, you know, kind of like a, the, the GPS helps you get to where you want to go. I think marketing will start to feel like that. It'll be like, oh, you want a restaurant in walking distance that, you know, you and your daughter can go nice. to, you know, bloop, here's a notification. Have you, you know, think about this. So I think it'll, it'll kind of almost be like a mind reading is kind of like where it'll go. The predictive models will get so good that, and at first it'll be creepy and then we'll just be like, oh, rely on it. It drives my wife crazy. I'll like, you know, I'll be at work and I, I use the GPS and I put it in home. And she's like, why, you don't know the way? I'm like, no, I just like to watch, you know, I, I've got my traffic in there. I kind of like to time my podcast. So that gives me my timing. So it'll, 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 it'll look like that. I think. Why is that good though? Why is Why, why is that good? If, if you're predicting as to what I'm going to be doing based on my history. I mean, we talk about privacy on one, one hand and your privacy has been gone for a long time. <laughs> well, my Just embrace it. Did Good you point. share your lunch today on social media? <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't. Yeah, see, but, there you um, go. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I mean, no, it's an open question. Maybe everything that Scott said is probably going to happen. Does that make your lives better? For me, it makes my life easier. So I'll give you an example of technology and where it's taken me. So mother of two, two working parents, that's very different. My parents, um, my mom was a homemaker, my father worked, and at that generation was very definitive. So mom stayed home, took care of us, dad worked full time. Now we're in this brand new landscape of two career driven people who love our children to the ends of earth, but also are wanting to advance in our careers. I can't tell you how crazy this week was because crazy is, you know, it's variant upon each person, but it was a pretty hectic week, right? And my son's birthday is this weekend, and I know I need to get him his gift. I need to order his balloons. Well, I'm, I order the balloons. They're going to be delivered tomorrow. I was able to get his the, the exact way that he wanted, and I took a call in my car, went to Target, pressed the trunk open, someone put it in my car, and then I drove home. And I literally said I would not have been able to make that happen in this case if I didn't have that. Now, I'm not saying that's my everyday life. It's a treat, right? But it helped me feel better, I think, about my own life, how I am about a mother. I'm, I'm juggling this world, right, and all my responsibilities. So I think if for those who want it or need it, it could be ease, peace of mind, and helping you just kind of get things done. I think it's the power shift continues, mm-hmm. right? The power, you know, the consumer power is just gets very, very strong where we're responding more so than being able to be proactive, right? And I think the other part would be data and analytics. I think that, you know, we're getting to the point where we can track so closely, right? And I think that's good for marketers, but I think it's a, a, a bit of a healthy tension where, you know, we've been in this place where, hey, we're driving brand awareness. We're going to spend X amount of money in X market to do X. And 
you know, it's, you know, generally up 2%, right? I think with data analytics and data scientists, right, we're really going to know where every dollar goes and it's going to inform us and make us make tough decisions um, that are, you know, informed based on data to say which platform is working better. So I think marketing just gets better and, and more targeted based on that consumer choice and, and the power in the consumer. And choice. more of the accountability that we have to put right. forth across the board, whether you are the consumer or the organization. Yeah. Awesome. Well, any, any final thoughts, any final words you want to leave with the audience? I know, um, Reagan, you shared about the position that's opening at, uh, at Blue Cross Blue Shield NC. He didn't hear it. Though. I didn't hear it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all, check me out on LinkedIn. They're all on my LinkedIn page. So, yes. And, and again, just thanks for the opportunity. Great questions. Great, great discussion. Uh, Scott, any final thoughts or words? No, just thanks for having us. This was a lot of fun. Enjoyed it. Same. Thanks for having us. Open to suggestions, ideas you know where to reach us so would love to hear awesome well i want to thank everyone for tuning in to today's podcast and joining us live and also those who are listening now and thank you to our panelists for your insights for all the work that you do within your organizations and in the community and the impact that you're creating so we just thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to join us today on talk west so thank you and have a great evening